My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Cross Point, and we, a couple weeks ago, we kicked off a new series in the book of 1 Corinthians, and um, we've been talking about the power of the cross, and I believe that today, if we're just talking about specifically today, my hope today is that, and of course we would say this every week, but, but really today, my hope is that you see God differently today. More than anything else, that, that's, that's what I hope we leave with, is a different, a different view of God. And here's what, I, here's what I hope you see more than anything else. God is not like us. He's not like us. We uh, so often are tempted to reduce God to, or bring God down to our level so that we can understand him better. And God has lowered himself. <laughs> he has brought himself down to our level. But that doesn't mean God is like us. He's not like us. God does not judge people by appearances. He doesn't see people the way that we do. He doesn't measure people the way that we do. He, doesn't, he just doesn't look at, at, at people the same. You know, when we, when we look at people, we're looking at, we're kind of sizing them up, measuring them up. When you were in elementary school, you know, and, and during recess, and you're picking teams for, you know, kickball, basketball, foursquare, whatever it was. Or I guess you didn't pick teams for foursquare. Um, but you're picking teams, and you're, you're sizing up those people. You're looking them up and down. Do they look athletic? Do they look strong? Do they look like, I, do, do they, should I, you know, do I want to pick them for my team? God doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way at all. He doesn't, he doesn't look at people the same. In fact, this is, this is really interesting about God. God will pass over the people who look strong, the people who look like, the people with power. He'll pass them over to choose the weak, to choose the lowly, to choose the despised. He's done it all I mean, from the beginning. He just does it over and over and over again. Look at us. He did it with us, right? God's not like us. And why is it? Why is it that God operates that way? Why doesn't God choose the best? Why doesn't he do that? That's what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to start reading with verse 17 from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And the Apostle Paul, remember, is is speaking to a church that he started. These are people, many of them who he knows, and he really cares about these people. And this is a very personal letter, and this is what he says beginning in verse 18 of chapter 1. Sorry, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom... It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. 
But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the word of God. Now if you remember from the last couple weeks, Corinth, this church that Paul's writing to, is about five years old, and they're really struggling. They're, they're just struggling. There is inappropriate competition going on. People are boasting about things that don't matter. There's just a lot of petty arguments, and it's clicky, and people are looking down their nose at others in the church. And I, I was just thinking about how we do that today and how everyone's different. The church is made up of all different kinds of people from different backgrounds, different preferences, and um, I was thinking about coffee, you know, how different we are. with co- Some of you drink coffee, most of you, some of you don't. But you, do you know a coffee snob, anybody? Are there any coffee snobs in here? Some of you, you're like, I only drink Collectivo. And others of you, I, you know, you're Folgers people. And that's okay. Like, like I, this, <laughs> this happened to me recently. Have you ever been at someone's house and you really, you're a coffee connoisseur, you know, you've got the French press and everything. And someone, you go to someone's house you don't know very well, or maybe you do know them well, and they offer you coffee. You're like, yeah, that sounds great. And then you watch in horror as they go into their cupboard, and they pull out this dusty large bucket of Folgers that looks like it's four years old. And they start scooping the grounds, and you're like, you know what, I'm good. <laughs> Actually, I just remembered I had some coffee on my way here. We do the same thing with essential oils. You know, we have essential oils people and you're, you know, they're rubbing oil everywhere and diffusing it. And then there's people who just spray Windex on their kids or something like that. Or they're spraying Lysol everywhere. And they might not live as long, but that's okay. That's just a preference thing. We have the people who eat only organic and everything. And then we have the people who go to Wendy's three times a week. There's nothing wrong with that. They probably won't live as long either. That's Okay. But what, what happens is in the church, we, we, have, we, have, we have the same things. We've, we argue over things that are just as petty as that, that, that kind of matter to us in the church for some reason. And, you know, is, should we sing hymns or Hillsong? You know, hymns versus Hillsong. Who cares? We're singing about Jesus. You know, who cares what people wear? If it's a Sunday, you want to wear a Packers jersey, that's fine. You know, I don't, I'm not going to look down on you for that. Um, I happen to like the Packers, so I mean, that helps, but you can wear a Bears jersey. That's fine, too. Listen, what happens is we turn our preferences, because of our flesh and because of the devil, our preferences become power struggles. That's what happens. And we, t- we, we start to argue and fight and... All of a sudden, we end up competing with people when we should be serving them. We should be serving them. And and we find ourselves competing with them. And in the church at Corinth, there were cliques. And and these cliques formed around certain personalities and leaders. That's what was going on. They're arguing about the worship service. What kind of songs should we sing? Um, what's, What's appropriate and what's not appropriate to wear to church and so on? And this church is divided. The people aren't getting along. And, and what does God say the solution to division is? The gospel. The gospel is the solution to division in the church. And this is what Paul says in verse 17. 
For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So how do we miss the power of the cross? We miss the power of the cross by depending on people and by looking to people for power and for skill and for wisdom. That's how we lose the power of the cross. We lose the power of the cross when we become self-sufficient. We lose power, we lose our power in the cross when we become self-sufficient. That's how it happens. Divisions and all kinds of other problems threaten the church when we move on from the word of the cross and start thinking that we don't need someone to die for us anymore. We don't need people to serve us. We don't need help. We don't need to be rescued. And as soon as we believe that, as soon as we start believing that, we are powerless. It's like we are all narcissists. I don't know if you're familiar with narcissism. It's, a, it's called, a, it's, a, it's, it's someone who suffers from an inflated sense of self-importance. And, and you know what they say about narcissism, treatment can help, but it can't be cured. It's a lifelong, chronic condition. The cause is unknown. It has to be diagnosed by a medical professional. Treatment involves talk therapy. And symptoms include excessive need for admiration, disregard for others' feelings, an inability to handle criticism, and a sense of entitlement. Does that sound like anybody you know? It kind of sounds like all of us, doesn't it? And according to God, we all have an inflated view of ourselves and how important we are. And it causes us to compete with each other. And it causes us to ignore people's needs. In fact, it keeps us from even noticing each other's needs. Because we're too busy thinking about ourselves. And worst of all, it keeps us from seeing God. It keeps us from seeing God. But we do have a cure And according to this passage, the cure is the preaching of the cross. That is the cure to our inflated view of self-importance. And and here's what the preaching, we have to know what what the word of the cross is, right? What is the word of the cross? What is that? What is the message of the cross? Well, here's what it's not. The preaching of the cross is not believe in Jesus so you can go to heaven. You know, uh, you should... You should believe that Jesus died for your sins so that you can go to heaven. That is not the message of the cross. If our message is believe in Jesus so you can go to heaven, here's what will happen. We will produce people who use Jesus to get something. That's what's going to happen. And and we'll end up saying things like, Jesus, thank you so much for dying on the cross for my sins and getting me a ticket to heaven, but I got it from here. I got it from here. And we act like Jesus makes us right with God, but we don't need Jesus to make us right in every other area of our life. So it's okay to talk about Jesus here when we're in church, but we don't need to talk about him everywhere. And and we don't need him to transform our homes and our finances and our our families and our schools and our friendships and our hobbies and, and everything. Because all we need Jesus for is to get to heaven. And as long as I have that ticket, I'm good to go. And God is not interested in producing people who are just using him to get stuff. God wants to produce people who just want more of Jesus. 
And they're not trying to just use Jesus to get something. They just want Jesus, and that's all they need. That is what God is doing in this world today. He's transforming people so that in a, such a way that they're, they're, they're not consumed and obsessed with themselves. They're consumed and obsessed with Jesus and how they can get more of him. And, and what happens is we, we tend to use Jesus to get peace with God and to feel good about God. But then we use other programs and other ways of thinking and other ways, other wisdom to get peace everywhere else. And it doesn't work. It, ne- it will never work. And the reason it will never work is because the message of the cross is not like any other message. It's not like any other program. It's not like any other system. It's not like any other religion. It just isn't. It's completely different. Think about it. Every movement, every new institution, every idea, every new philosophy, every political system, all of it starts with an idea or a philosophy or a mindset. That's how it all starts. Every single Eastern religion out there is a kind of philosophy that started with an idea or it's a kind of system. Buddhism, Taoism, Hinduism, every kind of Every kind of program that says, if you, follow this, if you follow this way of thinking and this way of life and this program, you can be the best version of you. How many of those do we have today? They all start with an idea or a philosophy. But guess what? We don't start with that. Christianity never started with that. Christianity starts with facts, historical facts. And the historical fact is, Jesus Christ was crucified. And that's where we start. We always start with the historical fact of Jesus on the cross. And if you believe that that event happened, the event of the cross, and you believe that it happened to God, then you are in a position to know God. If you don't believe that that event happened, and that that man hanging on that cross was God in the flesh, then you will never know God. You can't know God. No amount of wisdom, no amount of discernment, no amount of knowledge, no amount of technology or medical advances or any of it will ever lead you to that truth. None of it will ever change your heart. None of it will ever put you in a position to see God. That's what Paul's trying to say. So what is, what is different about the message of the cross? Besides the fact that it's a historical event that we announce and that we preach. <laughs> we preach that Jesus was crucified. That's the heart of our message. We're preaching about an event. And that that event changes your life forever. It changes the course of history. It changes your future. But it's more than that. The cross is more than that. It tells us something about the human condition, doesn't it? It tells us that there is nothing you and I could ever do to be right with God. There is no amount of cleaning our act up. There is no amount of purifying ourselves. There is no amount of studying. There's no amount of repentance. There's no paying God back. There's no negotiating with God. All of our best deeds together, none of it, take all of it, none of it is enough to be right with God. None of, this, none of it is enough to get us into God's presence, to make us acceptable to God. Even the best human, the best rule follower, the most loving and generous person who ever lived is deserving of only condemnation. 
That's what the cross tells us. And here's the other thing it tells us. The word of the cross says that moving ahead without God, doing things in your own strength, is the path to destruction. It's the path to destruction. What Paul's saying here is the death and resurrection of Jesus, those two events, are the events that display God's undoing of human self-sufficiency forever. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, all of our best efforts, all of our strength, all of our wisdom, all of our knowledge will never get us anywhere. It's never enough. It'll never get us to God. But those people who are perishing, God says, they can't see God. The word of the cross is foolishness to them. They can't see him. The only people who can see God, the only people who can hear God, are the people who are actually weak in the world's eyes. They're weak in the world's eyes. They're the lowly, the despised, the people who don't have power. They're humble, they're teachable, they're repentant. But they can see God. To many people, the crucifixion of Jesus was just a sad event. A, 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 a sad story of an innocent man who was brutally tortured and executed. That's all it is. And, and many people actually feel sorry for someone like me who believes that a crucified peasant criminal can give me life with God. That's the truth, isn't it? Have you ever heard someone say, uh, maybe you know someone, I'm sure you, you all know someone who, just, who doesn't buy, buy into the whole Jesus thing, and they just think he was a man. Have you ever heard someone like that say, okay, well, if God is real, if God is real and Jesus is the, is the promised one, then why doesn't God just tell us? Why doesn't God show himself? Why doesn't God announce it to the whole world and write his name in the sky and make it obvious to everybody? If he's God, he can do that. Why doesn't he do it? Why doesn't he just put all doubt to rest? You ever heard someone talk like that? <laughs> Guess what? God did do that. Do you know where he did it? The cross. That's where it happened. That is the event where God said, here I am. You don't need any more proof. <laughs> we don't need to say anything else. Jesus. The cross of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Listen to verse 21 again. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. In other words, the world wants to decide how God should reveal himself. The world wants to decide that. The world wants to decide how God should speak and how God should show up and how God should prove himself. How she sh how, when he should act, what he should do. And if he would just listen to us and speak to us on our terms, we would understand. We would see him and believe. But that is an utter rejection of God because God has already made himself known in a very clear way at the cross of Jesus. The Jews were saying, hey, we need signs and wonders. 
We need someone who, who will deliver us and take us back to our homeland and restore power to Jerusalem. And someone who can, you know, part the Red Sea and who can move mountains. God, you need to prove yourself that way and then we'll believe. That's what Jews were saying. The Gentiles, they were saying something different. They were saying, we need someone who will give us new ideas and new technology, new advances in science and medicine, higher education. God needs to prove himself to us that way, and then we'll believe. And that is why the message of the cross sounds so crazy and foolish to most people. Because God doesn't show himself that way. God doesn't operate that way. He doesn't use human strength and wisdom to show himself. He doesn't do that. He's not like us. One thing we have to understand is this. The cross, see, we don't appreciate this. All this language about the cross. The cross has been a a, a symbol of faith for 2,000 years. But that wasn't what it was when Paul's writing this letter. The cross was a symbol of utter humiliation, shame, torment, and death. That's what it was. There were not people walking around Corinth wearing crosses on their necks. Okay, there was none of that. Nobody was doing that because it was ridiculous. And I was trying to think, well, what would that be like today? I don't, and all I could think of was a syringe. I mean, have you ever seen anyone wearing a syringe around their neck as a sign of life? No. You ever seen someone with a syringe tattooed on their body somewhere? Probably not. Why? Because it's a sign of death. We, we, see, we think of a syringe, a used syringe. We think about addiction. We think about shame. We think about death. We think about humiliation. That's what we think about. Because it's an epidemic. People are overdosing everywhere, all over our city. It's out of control. Some of you have lost a loved one who used a syringe as a tool, and it became an instrument of death and shame. And imagine if I said to you, your only hope in life is to follow an innocent man who overdosed on heroin. And all these followers of this guy, Bob, who OD'd on heroin, are wearing syringes around their necks and getting tattoos of needles and stuff. Would that make any sense to you? No, it sounds foolish. It's, it just sounds ridiculous. And that's how the message of the cross sounded to many people in Paul's day. To the average person. But guess what? You're not average. You're below average. <laughs> that's what he's saying. You're below average. Amen. And when you heard the message of the cross, my below average friend... You realized that living in your own strength was getting you nowhere, didn't you? You saw that. You realized that without Jesus and his death on the cross, on that instrument of torture, that you are dead in your sins. You have no hope. You realize that God loves you and sent Jesus to rescue you, and it's only through Jesus that you have hope for life. It's only through Jesus that you have access to God. And you did nothing to deserve that, and your life has never been the same. And the only way that you could even respond, I mean, there's two kinds of people in the world, he says. Those who are perishing and those who have life. What's the difference? They both hear the message of the cross. 
The only difference is those who, those who have life, those who believe it, they're called. They're called. There's nothing special about you. You didn't deserve it. You're not the best of the best. You're not the cream of the crop. In fact, quite the opposite is true most of the time. Did God call you because you're special, because you're powerful, because you have something most people don't have? No. God God normally chooses the weak people. Why? So that he can show his strength. That's what he does. He's been doing it throughout all of history. The wise and self-reliant and self-sufficient people of our world do not hear God. They can't hear him. But those who are humble and have a childlike faith can. They are humble. They are broken. They are repentant. They are weak. In the world's eyes. They are the weakness of God. That's what Paul says about us. We're the weakness of God. The crucifixion of Jesus shows us just how much we need God every day of our lives. We don't need more resources. We don't need more money. We don't need more information. We don't need more education. We don't need more technology. We don't need more protection. We don't need more supporters or more likes. We need God. We need God to act for us. That's what we need. And Paul gives us this amazing example in the passage from the book of Isaiah. I don't know if you remember, if you noticed that, but Paul at one point, a lot of times as Paul's making an argument, he'll say, he'll make a point like, you know, I came to preach the gospel, and I didn't do it with words of wisdom because I didn't want you to lose the power of the cross. And then he'll say, for it is written. And then he quotes the Old Testament. Why does he do that? Well, what he's doing is he's saying, hey, Here's an example of what I'm talking about. This is something God already did that proves what I'm saying is true. And so in this case, he's saying, most people, don't, most people hear the message and they say, I don't need that. They hear about the cross. They hear about Jesus dying for them. They say, I don't need that. I don't need a crucified Savior. I don't need God. I just need to work harder. I just need to be smarter. I just need more of something. More money, more resources, more technology. But I don't need God. I don't need God to do anything for me. And here's an example of that. And he goes back into Isaiah chapter 29, and he quotes Isaiah 29. Here's what the passage in Isaiah says. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and the fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Did you catch that last, that last verse there? That's what he quotes in 1 Corinthians 1. Now here's the story. Here's what was happening there. Judah is under threat of invasion from this great Assyrian army. And the, the, they're under stress. They're under pressure. King Hezekiah, he's the king of Judah at the time, he's under siege. He looks out, he sees all these Assyrian, they've taken captive all these places around Jerusalem. They're, they're, they're coming in, and he knows that, that they're in huge trouble. And, and, and here's what we do when we're under stress, when we're under pressure, and there's a crisis. 
you lose your job, someone in your family gets, you know, sick, your kid, something happens, they can't figure out what it is after all the tests, you know, something, you, the rug's pulled out from under you, you, you can't, your future's totally uncertain. What happens? What do we do? We freak out. <laughs> we take matters into our own hands. We, we say, okay, we got to figure this out. We need all this counsel. We need to talk to somebody. We need money. We need support. We got to build ourselves up. We got to surround ourselves with the resources so we can get through this. So we do. We take matters into our own hands. And that's what, that's what the king of Judah did. The political and spiritual leaders of Judah started planning and strategizing to get out of this mess. They knew they were outnumbered. They knew they were overpowered. And so they decide they should make a partnership with Egypt. Hey, if we get Egypt on our side, maybe we'll be okay. Another nation will be all right. All we have to do is get some extra support from Egypt, more power. That's what we need. More power, and we'll be able to ward off this threat. Don't we do that sometimes? <laughs> we do the same thing. And so they start talking to Egypt. They're not talking to God. They're not waiting for God. They're not hearing from God. They're, they're making a partnership with somebody else. Something that was under their control. And God says to King Hezekiah through the prophet Isaiah, he basically says, you don't need Egypt. You need me. You don't need more men. You don't need more power. All you need is me. You think you have all the wisdom and the intelligence and you think getting more power, you think you can figure this out. But I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. That's what God said. And here's what happened. The Assyrian army came right up to the gates of Jerusalem. And they surrounded the city. And King Hezekiah could see all the Assyrians surrounding the city, mocking and taunting the Israelites. And the king of Assyria sent a letter to King Hezekiah, ordering him to surrender. And here's what the king did. He took the letter and he spread it out on the floor. And he got on his knees and he cried out to God. And he begged God for help. He begged God for help. And that night, God sent an angel to kill 185,000 Assyrians. 185,000 Assyrians. Hezekiah didn't lift a finger. History tells us that a plague invaded the Assyrian camp and wiped out 185,000 Assyrians in one night. The King James Version always says it poetically. It said, when they woke up in the morning, behold, they were all dead. And that's what God did. That's what God did. He didn't need their help. God did not need Egypt's help. God does not need your help. You don't need help. I mean, <laughs> what, what we need is God. We don't need to shore up more support. We need God to act. That's what we need. 
we need to trust him. And, and, and all that God needs is a humble servant that is willing to do what he says. And anything is possible. Anything. So Paul ends the passage by saying, in 1 Corinthians one twenty five, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. What is the weakness of God in this passage? What is it? It's Jesus on the cross. That it, Jesus on the cross, dying as a common criminal, is the weakness of God. And that is what the Bible is about. That's what every story points to. Every story in the Bible points to Jesus on the cross dying for us. Take every narrative in the Old Testament. David and Goliath. What's David and Goliath about? It's about the weakness of God. God chose the weakest person in the Israelite camp. Someone who wasn't even enlisted. A boy, a teenage boy who wasn't even full grown. Didn't have any weapons. And he defeated the strongest enemy Israel had. What's that about? Is that about you facing up to your giants? No, it's not. It's about the weakness of God. It's about Jesus on the cross. That's what that story is about. That's what every story is about. Everything in the Bible, everything in history points to Jesus on the cross. That is the event that destroys the self-sufficiency of every single person, including you. And I told you at the beginning that what we need today is to see God differently. And the word of the cross not only tells us about our condition, it tells us about God. It tells us something about God. It tells us that God is not like us. God is not like us. He doesn't need us to, to, do, to accomplish his purposes. Okay, he doesn't pick the best people to be on his team. He doesn't judge by appearances. He doesn't measure you by your income, by your credentials. He doesn't measure you by how many degrees you have or how physically strong you are. He doesn't measure you by how good-looking you are or what you have to offer. He doesn't measure you by your resume. God doesn't interview you before he chooses you and gives you a position in his family. We do that. God isn't like that. He does, God doesn't wait for you to prove yourself. He doesn't wait for you to clean up your act. He doesn't wait for you to get right with him. He doesn't wait for you to clean up your past. God is ready to speak to you today. He is ready to act on your behalf today. He loves you. And all the proof you ever need is Jesus on the cross. And we never move on from that message, ever. We never move on from the cross. We never move on from the gospel of Jesus that says that I am a sinner. And in my flesh, in all my best efforts, I am alienated from God. I need a substitute. I need a crucified Savior more than I need anything else in this world. It tells us that God loves us, even on our worst days. He loves us the same. You, we are called to be weak in the world's eyes. We're called to a different kind of power, the power of the cross. And the weakness of God, Jesus on the cross, is all the power we ever need. It's all the power we ever need. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we admit our need for you today. And God, we ask that you would forgive our self-sufficiency 
We ask that you would strip away our, our, our faith in, in things that can't deliver us. We ask that you would strip away our confidence in money and our confidence in our credentials and our confidence in our accomplishments and that you would renew our faith in the cross of Jesus today. That you would remind us that without Jesus, without his death and resurrection, we have no power. We have no future. We have no hope. So God, we admit our need to you today. God, for those people in our church who are moving ahead of you, who are trying to fix their own problems, who are trying to use the world's tools to get peace, who are trying to use the world's weapons to win their battles. We pray, God, that you would lead us to repentance today, that we would bow our knees to bow our, our heads to you today, that, and that we would beg for your help, that you would do what we can't do, God, that you would show yourself strong when we are weak. Because we know, God, that when we're weak, when we fail, when we come up short, when we don't know what to do, when we don't know where to turn, God, you are ready to move. You are ready to act if we would just trust you, if we would just humble ourselves and depend on you. So God, speak to us. We ask you to speak. We ask you to act and to renew our faith in Jesus. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I want to thank everyone for coming today. We're going to dismiss you in just a minute. Before we do, a couple quick things I want to bring to your attention in the way of reminder. If you weren't here on Friday night, we launched a, this um, great new initiative called TGIF. And if, so if you weren't here on Friday night and you want to start leading a family worship time every week or family devotional time, we have the tools for you right on that back table. There's a lamp on the table there, kind of in the corner. Before you leave, just pick up a binder, pick up a poster, and pick up one of those Ziploc bags. That's everything you need to know. It's all spelled out for you in those three things. So just pick that up on your way out. We actually recorded the, the event on Facebook Live. It was really fun. You can watch it on our Facebook page if you'd like to see what it's all about, if you'd like to see it demonstrated. It's all there. Um, on our Facebook page. The other thing I wanted to mention before we leave today, just as a reminder, is at 11.30 we're going to be meeting, um, for anyone who's interested, especially small group leaders, in the, the back room just next to the gym for a 30-minute session on cross-centered prayer. It's going to be um, informative and engaging. And for those of you who are in small groups and you've been kind of practicing this, it's definitely worth your while. I would uh, encourage you to be there. It's going to be a good 30 minutes together. You'll be glad you came. Um, please rise, and I'm going to give you the benediction this morning before we leave from Romans chapter 16. Please bow your heads with me. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for being here. Have a great week.